the screams, we are 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 the screams, we You guys are fucking lame. So welcome back everybody to yet another episode of Beauty and the Screams. How? This is Jennifer. I'm Emily. And we are about to rock your world with episode 53, bitches. 50 fucking three. 53 times we have sat down and recorded magic for you. So, sorry that we're behind on getting the episodes out. We had some family stuff happen and we were... Yeah, we've been on the run doing things, running errands, doing stuff and... Staying with our grandma. Staying with our family, so... We weren't able to take the time to record a podcast. We had notes, but no time. It's true. We did have notes. But we did not have the time. So anyway, I need to get up to date on my social media posts because I've noticed since I haven't made social media posts, the episodes aren't getting very many listens. But anyway, everyone. (coughs) I keep trying <coughs> to make beautiful sounds and Jennifer coughs over it. <laughs> okay, so I was going through um, a bunch of stuff that was by Grandpa's chair, like cleaning and organizing because I love to organize, do my thing. And I found a Haunted Places magazine that I'm looking forward to reading. I was flipping through it, like, just looking at the sections and, like, what places there were last night. I haven't read it yet, but I'm... It's kind of cool, though, because there's a lot of stuff in there that about things that we've already talked about on here, too. Yeah, there is. Um, So, I will have you know that the main person that haunts the White House is Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, I saw that. That's kind of cool. Well... And I read in there that Hillary Clinton hosted seances in the White House when she was in there with Bill. And so did Mary Todd Lincoln. That's fucking amazing. Mary Todd Lincoln, they lost two of their sons, correct? Yes. Yeah. So she was a grieving mama wanting to talk to her babies. I wish we could have a seance at the White House. That would be cool as shit. Fucking right. (laughs) Maybe talk to the ghost of Mary Todd Lincoln. You're like, what up, girl? How is it on the other side of this? Right? <laughs> so anyway, here we are. Yet again. We're back. You know. Do the thing. Bye-bye. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that was. <laughs> Let's see. We have we watched anything new? The oh, the one about the guys that were murdering that had murdered that girl they found dead in the snow. Is that the one you're talking about? Well, I mean, yeah, there's that one too, but I wasn't thinking of that one. I was thinking of the one we watched before that. Oh, I've been watching this show with Grandma that Grandma finds very interesting. That's called Evil Lives Here, and it's all these people that have lived in homes with people who, like typically abused them severely and then you find out later that they were like 
arsonists or serial killers or rapists or whatever like but they didn't know these things when they were living with them because they were so like caught up in what was happening at home that they didn't think of what the inconsistencies were when they were not at home i watched an episode with them last night and this lady her husband was like super abusive to her he'd suffered a brain injury Mm -hmm. right but he'd already been like before the brain injury right oh is this the one we watched this is the one we watched last night yeah yeah and he basically was doing all this like horrible stuff to her like beating her raping her like all this stuff even after like they divorced like he'd broke into the house one night and like was beating on her and he drug her upstairs and raped her like all this shit well then it turns out this dude's a motherfucking serial killer serial rapist like because he had finally left like to where he wasn't close to being able to go and harass her anymore and he started like in tampa picking up women that looked similar to her like they weren't the same obviously but like he'd pick up women that had like a similar look to them and rape them and kill them yeah it's fucking wild yeah I don't feel like I could ever get stuck in a situation like that where someone was, like, beating me and raping me, though. Yeah. I don't think I could either because, like, because, like, the first sign of somebody, like, doing something that even, that looks like it could be construed as being abusive or whatever, like, I, I, I knock that shit down. Like, I would just leave. I wouldn't stick with someone long enough for them to be able to hurt me like that. Mm-hmm. Some people are just insecure and get so wrapped up in people. And it's well, and I think a lot of that, though, Emily, is... Girl, I always tell people, a man lay a hand on me, he won't have no hands left. <laughs> well, and, like, the people who don't grow up in relationships like that, like, they don't necessarily know what red flags to look for because they didn't live with somebody who was like that. And, like, in her <clears throat> case, like... It was very, very gradual. Like, he would make, like, like was saying, like, he'd make, like, jealous remarks and, like, he'd beat that one guy up, but it was like these things weren't all happening, like, right away. And so it's, like, a gradual thing that they, like, ease into, like, being fucking nuts. Yeah. Because you know what they say? Don't show them you're crazy right up front. You know, you gotta hook, line, and sink them. You gotta make them think the sun shines right out of your ass and you're the happiest thing like all you think about is daisies and rainbows basically you have to be a manipulator and then (laughs) slowly ease into it like you are annoyed with somebody straight up front but it's like you know the first time you're annoyed so you make like a little funny remark like you're so annoying But then, like, they're like, oh, she was laughing. It was sweet. And then eventually, you know, like, down the road, it just escalates to the point that I'm like, get the fuck away from me. You're fucking annoying. (laughs) And then I slam a door in your face and then come in and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. (laughs) So we've been watching that show. Yeah, there's been a lot of really good stuff on that show. And Grandma, like, because when we were looking for something to watch, I was like, does this sound interesting to you? It's like, it's kind of like a true crime type of thing, but it's like telling a story about crime that happened. And she's like, well, we can give it a shot. And I said, yeah, we'll watch one episode. And if we don't like it, we just, we'll just stop. Well, 
we got done and I paused it and I said, so what do you think? And she goes, I really liked it. And I was like, me too. So we just kept watching. And now we're in like season three or some shit. I liked the one about, I also started watching Swamp Murders and it's all like true crime murders from the swamps, like bodies that they found that people dumped in the swamps. So that one's pretty cool. RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh my God. Yes. I love RuPaul. I seriously, RuPaul, if you ever listen to this, I am secretly in love with you. Okay, not so secretly in love with you. Like, we've already figured out, like, the three of us could be best friends. Yeah, no, first we watched um, Skin Wars, and I loved him as a judge on there. Like, he, he was just fabulous. And then I'm watching RuPaul's Drag Race with Emily, and, like, I don't know, like, every time he comes out on that runway, like, dressed up in, in drag, like, he is so fucking beautiful like so beautiful like he doesn't even look like he's a 60 year old man like yeah he is so flawless like can i just uh, like have you adopt me into your life i want to be part of your family i want to be one of your drag babies it's pretty amazing we have watched so oddly i started it in a weird place i don't know how i ended up starting at season five so we watched season five first and so that's the season that Jinx Monsoon wins. Mm-hmm. I was happy Jinx Monsoon won, but also I didn't feel like her drag was that good. Right. But it's like I said, I think that they probably weigh like personality into it also because... And everybody was being a fucking bully. Because like Jinx was probably the most like genuine person that was on that show. It's true. Even compared to season four that I've seen so far. So. Yeah. But yeah, I really thought Alaska was going to win because of her speech. Like, yeah. Of her, like, her cell of herself at the end. Like, yeah, it was because what they, they were looking Because, like, for. they told them to throw people under the bus. Right, like. Like, and then, like, and it was, like, presented like a... Not just a speech, but it was, like, an inspirational message, kind of. Yeah. Like, it was, I don't know, that's just who I expected to win because they rose to the challenge. And I think they, like, knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Yep, I really thought it was going to be Alaska. I'm pretty sure that I are, because we watched it out of order, didn't they say that um, Sharon Needles wins? Yeah, I'm very upset about that because now we're watching season four. And, and compared to the other queens. Yeah, like, I mean, maybe, like, we'll see where, like, she gets better, maybe? First of all, no. Because she, her drag is so unattractive and creepy. Like, I'm sorry, not in a cute way either. Not like a, I don't know. I just don't dig her. And... I, it's irritating to me because I feel like um, Sharon Needles and Alaska literally talk and are the same person. Like, Alaska's drag wasn't as bad. Yeah. But they literally have that same, like, monotone way that they talk. And it's, like, whiny. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just not a fan of... I like Alaska more than I like Sharon. I can agree with that statement. 
I wonder if any of the queens that competed in other seasons are able to come back again. I don't know. Well, we really probably should have just started, once we get done season five, probably should have started season I just one. wanted to watch season four because Willem is in there and Willem is my favorite queen ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's just because Willem's, like, attitude is just so, like, I don't give a fuck. Um, they have the weekly beatdown or something with Willem and she basically, like, gets like the trending videos or whatever like on youtube and watches them and like reviews them and it is the funniest shit ever (laughs) so yeah we've been into rupaul yeah so hopefully you love the track queens as much as we do you're listening to the prescribed films podcast network Home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. This week on Beauty and the Screams, we covered mystical creatures. Or wait, what? What were we calling it? Creature features? Well, I wrote that down because that's what you wanted to do. And I just did like my own spin on what a creature feature would be. So Emily's been wanting to do a creature, a creature feature for a very long time. Oh, yeah. yeah so. Okay, so this week on Beauty and the Screams, we cover creature features. And the main topic was mythical creatures obviously um so yeah we should have some good stuff for you so and since i picked the topic that means you gotta go first oh what a world yes i'm first then (laughs) okay so i had a hard time with this topic like really hard and i kind of got not lost in it like I usually do. Like I kind of got tired of researching it because all I was finding was the same thing. And then I was like, okay, I'm not going to get very much from it. So I kind of built my own story leading up to the story. So anyway. But I honestly had at first been like, I'm going to do dragons because it is a very interesting topic because dragons have been in literature and all kinds of different things since like the dawn of time yeah so anyway but i ended up not doing dragons because i was like "Mm, predictable i don't want to be that way so i decided i wanted to learn more about the sphinx so the sphinx actually had a really significant role in um egyptian persian and greek mythology so and it's really interesting to me how similar each of their sphinxes are, but also, like, vastly different. Yeah. That's what I found interesting about my topic, too, because, like, all the areas that these creatures come from, like, they're not the same, but, like, they have the same, like, idea. 
And they weren't, like, connected and talking to each other at the point where a lot of these things came into existence. So it's like you wonder, um, like, if maybe it had been real at some point for them to have all been able to recount something similar. Yeah. So, like, Egyptian mythology, you have the Great Sphinx of Giza, which is the only one of the seven world wonders that is still standing today. And I didn't know that when I picked the Sphinx, so that was kind of cool. The Sphinx statue is located on the west bank of the Nile River on the Giza Plateau in Giza, Egypt's desert. Mm -hmm. So this version of the reclining, or well, their version of it is the reclining body of a lion with the head of a pharaoh. And it's believed, but, like, can't be confirmed, obviously, that the statue's head holds a strong resemblance of Pharaoh Khafre. However, it's hard to pinpoint when the statue was erected, as there is absolutely no documentation of it anywhere. The statue is made from limestone and is said to be over 4,500 years old. That's crazy. Yep. The Egyptians used the Sphinx as more of like a symbol to represent their pharaoh and the divine power, not as an individual entity like the Greeks did. So then they, I mean, the Sphinx appeared on a lot of things in like ancient Egyptian times, like on coins and other like things like that. But, um, and also the Egyptians worshipped cats. But I watched something that really upset me because they found a tomb with a bunch of mummified cat corpses and they basically doing all their whatever they do discovered like the cats were like sacrificed to the cat gods. What? Yeah. The Egyptians sacrificed cats to the cat gods. But so the great Sphinx is said to overlook the great pyramid serving as its protector. So they discovered traces of paint behind the ears of the Sphinx, leading people to believe that it actually used to be heavily makeuped. Sure, like it probably when, was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the structure is absolutely, like, massive. So it's 60 feet high, so tall enough to fit a six-story building inside of. And then 240 feet long. Damn. It's a big ass statue. And then between the massive paws of the little kitty sphinx, um, there's the story in, there's a story engraved in the um, pink granite slab mm-hmm. that has the story of how the statue was saved by the hands of time. So it is said that Prince Thutmose son of Amenhotep II fell asleep near the massive statue and so while the prince was taking a little snooze um, he had a dream probably a fever dream okay so he said that the statue spoke to him calling itself Harmaket in the dream the statue complained a lot telling the prince that he was very unhappy he was dissatisfied with the state of the statue and he believed it was so messy and you know what he was mad about the sand he was angry that there was sand all over the statue 
So the Sphinx in the dream told the prince that he would help him if he cleared away the sand from the statue, that he would help him become Pharaoh. So, okay. The cult that began to follow the Sphinx after this. Um, so with what I believe was, I think it was 103 men or 130 men. Either way, Prince Thutmose began the impossible job of trying to clean the sand from the statue, which seems so ignorant to me because what kind of task is that to give someone? The statue is in the middle of the desert. There is sand everywhere. Yeah. So, how would you clean all the sand off? You'd clean one section, go to start cleaning another, and then it'd be covered in sand again. There's wind. Yeah, because if he, like, even if he were to, like, dig it down, like, around it, like, the next sandstorm that came through would be covered again. Exactly. Um, so then, at this time, the Sphinx became a symbol of royalty and the power of the sun. This is where it gets good. So the Greeks had a story for everything. And the Sphinx existed in Greek mythology. Though you know there's a good ass story about the Sphinx. Well, yeah, the Greeks have good ass stories about everything. So beginning with the appearance of a Sphinx. The Sphinx had the body of a lion, the tail of a snake, so it was literally like a snake coming out. Like the head was the tip. Okay. Um, so, yeah. The body of a lion, tail of a snake, face of a beautiful woman, and the wings of an eagle. Ooh. So very interesting combination, if I don't say so myself. Because imagine you're like looking at this face of this woman and, you know, she's supposed to be so beautiful. And so you're like, oh my God, I think I got a bona. But then you continue looking down her and then you see the little cat body and you're like, oh, I just want to pet a little kitty. And then you get to the snake and you're like, fuck that. Disgusting. Nasty. But then you see these massive wings expand out like an eagle and then you're just mesmerized and you're like, this is majestic. (laughs) That's what I believe (laughs) that would make you feel like anyway. So, to tell you the truest form of the story of the Sphinx, we have to begin with before the Sphinx. So, the Sphinx was an offspring of Echidna and Typhon. So, and you have to understand that both of them were considered monsters. Like, monsters of Greek mythology. So, Echidna was half woman, half snake, Nagini. Oh, she's the um the mother of monsters, huh? She, yeah, she was described she was described as being half woman with glancing eyes and fair cheeks and then half huge snake with freckled skin. It was said that Echidna did not die or grow old in all her days. Hmm. She could be found eating raw flesh beneath the parts of the holy earth deep down under a hollow rock, far from the deathless gods and mortal man, a place that has been appointed by the gods. Oh, shoot. So, yeah. She was bad bitch. 
But anyway, then we have Typhon. So, okay. The beginning of Typhon. Hera was pissed off at Zeus for having his daughter, Athena. And so then she, you know, being pissed because Athena is so powerful, um, she prayed alone to Gaia and Uranus and the Titans to give her a son that would be stronger than Zeus and would be able to defeat him. So she prayed and prayed and prayed. And she's like, please give me a strong baby. Please, Lord. And then she smacked the ground and became pregnant. Oh, that's how she became pregnant. You know, if you really, that's what you were doing. You should have went out and prayed and smacked the ground. Now I know what happened. Yeah, she was just boom, pregnant. So, Hera gives birth to a beautiful, bouncing baby boy that's half serpent, just like Echidna. Um, and see, like, that's why I believe there are there, there is a soulmate out there for everyone. <laughs> if <laughs> there's a man that's half man, half snake, and then a woman that's half woman, half snake, they're made for each other. So, anyway... There has to be someone out there for me, right? <laughs> right? Uh, but anyway. So, after Hera has Typhon, she sends him to be raised by Python, which is interesting to me because Python is actually not a snake. It's basically like a dragon. Oh. So... To me, it looks like a dragon. Maybe I didn't really read into Typhon, or I mean to Python, so it very well could be supposed to be represented as like a snake with wings, but it looks like a dragon. Yeah. So anyway, the story is that Typhon actually attempted to overthrow Zeus. However, inevitably, Zeus won by the power of his thunderbolts, baby. Mm. And then I wrote here, he hurled his thunderbolts, the muses. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, yes. This is where the Sphinx originated from, which explains the snake tail and, I guess, the human head. But also doesn't explain any of the rest of it. Like, the lion body or the wings. I don't really know where those came from, but maybe it was a mutation. Yeah. So, the gods sent the Sphinx down to the town of Thebes to plague them as punishment for their ancient crimes. Oh. Okay. So it was said that the road to Thebes was lined with the bones of travelers that had encountered the Sphinx. So, here we go, here we go, here we go. I can't wait to ask you the riddles. Okay. So the Sphinx was said to have learned riddles from the muses and sat at Mount Phicion where she would challenge travelers with these riddles. The catch was, if you answered the riddles incorrectly, you would be devoured by the Sphinx. But if you answered the riddles correctly, you would be allowed um, safe passage into Thebes. So, hence why the road was lined with bones. Because nobody had ever gotten the riddles right. So, the riddles were... Okay. 
which creature has but one voice and yet becomes four-footed, two-footed, and then three-footed? That's the first riddle. And then the second one is, there are two sisters. One gives birth to the other, and she, in turn, gives birth to the first. Who are the two sisters? So I will tell you the answers to the first one. Once you hear it, you're like, okay, that makes sense. But really, the second one to me is completely illogical, makes absolutely no sense. And all I did was sit thinking, how could a sister give birth to a sister and then that sister give birth to the one that gave birth to her? There's no way. Like, this makes no sense. Not a damn bit of sense. As time went on, the king of Thebes was devastated by the loss of so many people to the Sphinx. And he actually even lost his own son to the Sphinx. Oh. So, he announced publicly that he would give the kingdom and his widowed sister to whoever could defeat the Sphinx. So, Oedipus heard the news while he was en route to Thebes and decided that he would accept the challenge of attempting to defeat the Sphinx. So, he arrives to Mount Fician, and meeting the Sphinx, he accepted the challenge of trying to answer the, answer the riddles. So the Sphinx asked, Which creature has but one voice and yet becomes four-footed, two-footed, and then three-footed? Do you have any ideas? I mean... I can give you my perverted response. Oh, tell me. Because, you know, humans are normally, like, they stand on two feet, right? Yeah. But, like, we can walk on our hands and feet if we really wanted to. Oh, so somebody's bent over. But, guys might potentially have a penis long enough that it could be mistaken oh. as a third leg. Oh, okay, so... We're going there. Well, it's not that. (laughs) So, Oedipus thought about this for quite a while. To which he responded, Man, who crawls on all fours as a baby, then walks on two feet as an adult, and using a stick in his old age, now has three. Oh, so I was close. Yeah, and this was correct. Just it's a, it's a cane and not a penis. <laughs> True. So, the Sphinx continued with its final riddle. There are two sisters. One gives birth to the other, and she in turn gives birth to the first. Who are the sisters? God, I've been stewing on this one, and I can't think of anything good. I'm wondering, like, maybe it's like dawn and dusk, maybe? Get the fuck out of here. So, I feel like Oedipus was thinking and feeling just like me for a while. Like, how could a sister... Oh, this is where I wrote it. How could a sister give birth to a sister and then the sister be giving birth to the sister who gave birth to her? So, illogical. There is no answer. (laughs) But, my man, Oedipus over here is obviously way smarter than I am or any of those people who bones were (laughs) lining the road. But he finally said, day and night. So it is. Yeah. And the answer was correct. 
Yes. At this, the Sphinx was completely devastated. Look and how good I am at solving riddles. You are. <laughs> At, the, at this, the Sphinx was completely devastated and it began to attempt to devour herself, but then threw herself from the mountain to her death. But I almost wonder if she didn't throw herself off the mountain, if she was just so upset and chewing on herself and kind of like fell, you know. I don't know. The world may never know. Just like how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? I always like... Also, like when I was a kid, I would start that like I'd lick it, and then I'd get like then I'd forget what I was doing just to get in my mouth and start sucking on it. Then you never know, like how many licks it takes. But it's definitely more than three. A one, a two, a three. <laughs> I tried that once. It didn't work. I hurt my teeth. <laughs> so I don't have very much left. So, um, then we have. Persian mythology, where, once again, the Sphinx isn't really, like, an individual entity. It was more of a symbol. Um, the Sphinx was used to represent their supreme god, Ahura Mazda. <laughs> Mazda. <laughs> Physically, though, from what I could find anyway, I believe that the Sphinx in Persian mythology was more closely resembling the Sphinx in Egyptian mythology. So some of the pictures I found of it were extremely disturbing because it was basically like a pharaoh's head. So it's like the body and a pharaoh's head, but the pharaoh's head wasn't facing straight in the pictures. It was like backwards hmm. and it was very disturbing to me. But anyway, I didn't have a lot of research, like I said, but that's it on the Now I present to you Trunovo. That was beautiful. So lovely. <laughs> so I decided to pick um, mermaids. And I did this because, like, that's a pretty popular, like, mythical creature that people, like, still not necessarily believe in, I don't know, but, like, they always have, like, you know, people, like, there's people that fucking go mermaiding, like, they put on mermaid tails and go swim around with their friends and have mermaid parties, like, that's a real thing. That sounds amazing. Like, I don't know, and, like, you know, you can get necklaces with mermaids and all these different things, mermaids, like, I don't know, and I, I love mermaid scales, and, like, the idea of, like, mermaids existing is kind of interesting yeah it is yeah i've always thought that that would be so cool yeah so that's why i chose mermaids so plus we all already know you obsessed with mermaids it's true because i draw them a lot that and you did mermaids in our that one f episode that we did before legends yeah so i definitely took a different spin on it this time because i didn't just do like sightings and stuff like to the legend like I went like back into like the original history of a mermaid like where some of the original stories come from so yes, bitch spit it tell so, us merfolk or mer people are legendary water dwelling human like beings that have been at the center of folklore and mythology for thousands of years in various parts 
of the world. Ooh, all around the mm-hmm. world. And it's like when I was saying, when you were doing your story, like, there's so many different cultures that have very similar ideas of what a mermaid would be. Like, it's it's interesting because they never had, like, contact with each other really back then. Like, they just had their things, but then they all had similar, like, deities, if you will, that they were, like, worshipping to and stuff, so. Um, but among the vast amount of tall tales that I, or that have been entertaining everybody for millennia, like, forever, uh, mermaid mythology is different, um, due to the way that these creatures have been depicted in different cultures. So, um, some of them are magical or benevolent, while others are looked at as more like bringers of disaster. Mm. So, like, they view them differently. I'm um, a bringer of disaster. Yeah. So, so, mermaids are widely thought of as fictional characters. However, um, there are people who have claimed to have seen mermaids here and there throughout history, which makes me wonder if mermaids could potentially be real. Mermaids are real. I believe it in my soul. (laughs) So, the sirens of Greek mythology led us to what we know of as a mermaid now. However, then they were depicted as half-bird, half-woman creatures that then gradually shifted through time into the image that we know today of a beautiful fish-tailed woman. Mm. Oh, and I put this picture on there for you to see of this it's a 1900s, um, or 1900, like, 1900, uh, painting that someone did of a mermaid, like, laying, sitting on the beach, brushing their hair out. Oh. Beautiful. Yeah, she's beauty and she's grace. So, the image of sirens then started to shift during the Hellenistic period, which is a period that covers like the Mediterranean history. So of all the areas around the Mediterranean sea that occurred between the death of Alexander the great, which he died in 323 BC. And then the emergence of the Roman empire, which is 31 BC. So the Hellenistic period is like a 300 year span, um, of time, which is where like the, they took form into what we know them as now. So, some characteristics of Homer's sirens, which Homer wrote the Iliad. So, um, the characteristics that he had on sirens, such as they entice men with beautiful song, just that became like what they know of as what a mermaid is. Luring men in. Luring men in with their music and the way they sing. So... And a part of the mermaid history that I found the most interesting is the fact that um, entities with fishtails, but with the upper body of a person, appear in artwork and stuff dating back to Mesopotamia, which we've talked about Mesopotamia before, about how that was like the earliest civilization that they found that has like a recorded history with like art and stuff. So... Mesopotamia. Messy potato. Yeah. And these images that they had were generally always mermen, but they did have mermaids that would show up occasionally, and 
the name they had for mermaids may have potentially been because the way their stories are and then looking into the language um, that may have been the Kuliatu, which that translates from the Mesopotamian language to fishwoman. Ah, so, yeah, fishwoman. So the first known mermaid stories appeared in Assyria in about 1000 BC. And this was the goddess Atargetus, I think is what her name is. Atargetus. Um, was the mother of the Assyrian queen Semiramis, who she fell in love with a mortal who was a shepherd and she accidentally killed him. So due to her feeling so upset with herself that she had accidentally killed the love of her life, she jumped into a lake and then took the form of a fish. But the waters were not able to conceal like how divinely beautiful she was. So, and it was because of this that then she then chose to take the form of a mermaid and just have a human face and a fish tail and rock the shit out of it. And that's what um, a targetist was supposed to look like. Oh, I don't but, like that. But she was supposed to be like super beautiful. But like that's, yeah, that's how they depicted her. It was with her long tail and legs and the torso. She's very... And I don't like this because she has, like, super long arms and short legs. Yeah, and her stomach is weird. (laughs) My dog is snoring. (laughs) So, um... So the earliest representations of a targetist show her her as a fish um, with a human head and arms similar to the Babylonian god A who was the god of creation, intelligence, crafts, water, fertility, magic, and mischief. So, there was some legend that I found that was kind of interesting um, that kind of attached to, I can't say kind of, it attached to the sister of Alexander the Great. And her name was Thessalonic, Thessalonic, maybe? But she was believed to have not died, but to have become a mermaid instead and started living in the Aegean Sea. And it was said that she would stop ships that she would encounter and talk to the sailors that were on the ship and ask them if um, King Alexander was alive. So their response was expected to be, he lives and reigns and conquers the world. And it was at this reply that she would then, like, say, or she would then calm the waters and then bid the ships farewell. But if they answered the other way, then she would become enraged and stir up terrible storms and doom the ships and all the sailors on board to die. Oh, so that puts a twist on, like, the storms and the ocean and shit. Yeah. So, um... I'm going to probably butcher the hell out of this guy's name. But it's Gaius Plinius Secundus, who they called Pliny the Elder, was a Roman author 
and he was also a naturalist who wrote of numerous sightings of mermaids off of the coast of Gaul, which was a region in Western Europe that was comprised of what we now know as France, Luxembourg, Belgium, most of Switzerland, um, Northern Italy, the Netherlands, and Germany. And he wrote that their bodies were covered all over in scales and that their corpses frequently washed up on shore. Sexy. (laughs) He also wrote that the governor of Gaul had written a letter to Emperor Augustus to let him know about the mermaids and their existence. I believe they exist. Yeah. Um, There's also a collection of Middle Eastern tales that had been written in Arabic that are called 1001 Nights. And this includes several stories that feature sea people. However, they're unlike like the mythical depictions of mermaids that we know because they're anatomically identical to land-bound humans. So they're supposed to look exactly like humans. The only difference is, is that they are able to live underwater. Mm. So in these tales... The sea folk could and did interbreed with land humans, and then their offspring could then breathe and live underwater. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and one of these stories tells of a fisherman who gains the ability to breathe underwater and discovers an underwater society that is basically an inverted version of what land society is like. <gasps> kind of like in The Little Mermaid. Yeah, kind of. Um, and the society is then portrayed as having kind of like a primitive form of communism where they had, did not have any concepts like money and clothing and all that stuff. So like they just lived and survived. So, um, another of the tales talks about the protagonist's quest to find this herb of immortality that leads him to explore the oceans. Herb of immortality? Yeah. I found it. Got them herbs. (laughs) Um, But in his adventures, he encounters a society of mermaids living below the surface of the seas. So mermaid mythology is tied to many different cultures all over the world. Um, In Great Britain and Ireland, however, there seem to be more like on... They are seen more as an unlucky omen. Um, that tells more of, like, disaster. So, in the UK, mermaids have been described as being able to swim up rivers into freshwater lakes. And there was a story um, that I found where a man went to help a woman that he had thought was drowning in the lake near his house. And the servant that was with him, like, pulled him back and warned him that it was a mermaid. And then the mermaid started screaming at them, and yelling at them about how she would have killed him if it were not for his servant. Damn. Yeah. And then at the church of St. Centra in the middle of the village of Zenor, um, there, there's a famous chair that is decorated by a, a giant mermaid carving that is probably about 600 years old. And this chair is supposed to be a type of monument to a mermaid who had come to the Cornish village and listened to the singing of the chorister named Matthew Truella. 
But anyway, the two eventually ended up falling in love, and Matthew went with a mermaid to her home in um, Pendor Cove, and it is said that the two lovers can be heard singing together on summer nights. Oh, all those... So then the mermaids from the Isle of Man are considered more favorable to humans than those of other regions. So there are various accounts of assistance, gifts, and rewards. One of the stories um, tells of a fisherman who carried a stranded mermaid back to the sea and was rewarded to with a location of a treasure. So they're like, hey, if you since you did this for me, like... If you go here, you can have this treasure. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And then there's another story that I read that talks of a baby mermaid who had gone on land and stole a doll from a human child. <laughs> and then the, the mermaid was then sent back to the girl by her mother to return the doll and to give the human child a gift of a pearl necklace to apologize for stealing from them. Yeah, pearl necklace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> so, and then there's another story from that area that tells of a, like, fishing family. Like, they were going out fishing doing their thing, and they would regularly take apples to a mermaid, and then they were, their family was then rewarded with a life, a lifelong, like, abundance and prosperity. So, so basically, pay homage to the mermaids. Yeah. And you go and live a great, great life. And then in other parts of Western Europe, there is a legend of a mermaid-like creature called Melusine, I think. Melusine, Melusine, whatever. But she is sometimes depicted um, with having two fishtails or the lower body of a serpent. Oh, so um, there was a book that was written in 1566 that spawned an idea that water sprites could acquire an immortal soul by marrying a human. So like if they get married to a human, they can live forever, supposedly. So this then led to the most infamous mermaid tale that anybody has ever written, which is Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid. Yeah, Ariel is a stupid bitch. And the Little Mermaid story actually then led to the installation of a world-famous statue of her that was erected in Copenhagen, Denmark, in August of 1913. So that's a statue there of the Little Mermaid. Oh. Yeah. Who turned to sea foam. Mm-hmm. So... Now we're going to leave Western Europe. We're going to go to Eastern Europe. Um, there, in Eastern Europe, there were these um, Rusalkas, which is the Slavic version of the sirens in Greek mythology. So the nature of the Rusalkas differ um, among folk traditions, but although, but although the interpretation varies from place to place, the one thing that all of them share is the fact that they are supposed to be restless spirits of the unclean dead. Oh. So, 
Typically, they were said to be ghosts of young women who had supposedly suffered these violent or untimely deaths before they were able to get married. <laughs> because that's what's important. Yeah, so if they died violently um, before they were able to get married, they were supposed to become these rusalkas or mermaids. So, um, rusalkas inhabit lakes and rivers and appear as beautiful young ladies with long, pale green hair and pale skin. And they're supposed to look this way, like, because um, they're living underwater and the light can't go down through the water, so they're so pale because of that. So, Rusalkas can be seen after dark, dancing together under the moon, um, and calling out to young men by name, where the men were then lured to the water and were drowned. And the Rusalkas are characterized as being desirable and treacherous. So then, the ancient Japanese version of a mermaid is the Ningyo, which literally translates to human fish. So in Japan, they are generally made more, um, or generally made to be part female human. So... You know how, like, a lot of other cultures, they have mermen and mermaids. Well, like, in Japanese, they pretty much only have mermaids. Like, there are a few men that, like, come up every once in a while, but normally they're always women. Um, but it is also noted in a dictionary that they had also modified the name. So, um, it used to be that Ningyo was very gender-specific, but they changed the definition of it so that it's more like binary to where it can cover both um both sexes so mm. um both sexes <laughs> so the most prominent depictions of the ningyo is not exactly half human but it is just a human female head resting on a fish-like bo body so there's an image here that i have included here just for emily's benefit so you can look at that while i'm reading um, that is truly terrifying. Basically, uh -oh. what I am looking at here is a woman's face with what looks like horns on her head. And it's literally just on, like, a giant fish body. So, this image was published in a news flyer in 1805. And this is what a Ningyo was supposed to look like. Because they were said to have a pair of golden horns... And they were supposed to have a red belly. And they had three eyes on either side of the torso. And then their tail ends were supposed to be carp-like. Oh. And this flyer was supposed to be about a ningyo that was captured in Yukata-yura, which is now known as um, Toyama Bay. Um, it stated that she was 10.6 meters long. Which, for perspective for you, Emily, okay, comes to 35 feet long. Holy shit, that's mm -hmm. a big bitch. Yeah. And it was also said that it took them 450 rifles to be able to take her down. Good God. Yeah. So, in a prior episode, I did talk about numerous mermaid sightings from, like, Christopher Columbus to mermaids that have been reservoirs in Zimbabwe um, that had been seen as recently as 2012. So I'm not going to go into reported sightings for this episode. However, um, with everything considered as far as it being mythological, there 
there are bound to be hoaxes that crop up from time to time. So, my first example of this type of hoax is the Fiji mermaid. Um, and it had been exhibited in London starting in 1822, and later it was shown in America in 1842. In the case of this mermaid, an investigator found that the mermaid had been manufactured by a Japanese fisherman and has since been known as Barnum's mermaid. So, you know, like Barnum, the one that had like the like circus freak show stuff. Like he... Barnum and Bailey? Yeah. So they like made it into uh, Barnum's mermaid as like a whatever. And it still exists. You can still see it in museums, but it's... They know that it's not real because somebody made it, so... (laughs) Um, and then there's a similar fake mermaid that exists in the Horniman Museum in Forest Hill, London, England. In 18, 18, in 1982, it was added to the museum's collection under the name Monkeyfish. Monkeyfish. And here's a picture of Monkeyfish. Monkeyfish is scary. Mm -hmm. It has since been retitled as the Merman. The museum has closely examined the merman using photography, microscopy, magnifying equipment, x-ray and CT scans, as well as samples of DNA from different parts of the creature. And although the head appears to be a monkey, his DNA shows um, to be from a fish. And they are hoping to be able to analyze the DNA to find out exactly what type of fish it was made from so they can determine where this merman was made. They know that the internal structures of this mummified mermaid consists of a wooden neck and wooden supports in the torso and the tail, as well as a menagerie of wires and supports inside, like holding the arms and the body together. So they just don't know where these different species that were in it came from. So, another of these fake mermaids, known as the Sea Devil, was likely made in China or the uh, Malay Archipelago, where they created such specimens of fish monkeys and stingrays. These manufactured creatures were imported into Europe by the Dutch traders starting in the 16th century. No matter how you feel about mermaids, it is no secret that the possibility of their existence has fascinated humans for thousands of years. So, this guy is the little stingray dude, by the way. He's part stingray, part, I don't know what that is. He looks like a little, um, nymph. So, a lot of the stories of mermaids were not just created for our entertainment, but they were also created as a way to try to explain something that, like, they didn't understand yet. So, like... Before science and technology allowed us to be able to understand weather patterns, which is like what you said earlier, there were cultures that blamed mermaids for the storms and other destructive natural disasters because they didn't understand that that was just nature, like how nature was. They thought there was some kind of like force that was causing these things to happen. Mm -hmm. So, um, but since their existence is yet to be proven scientifically... It is important, though, to remember that we have not yet explored 
all of our world's oceans. Like, there's 90% of the oceans that we have yet to, like, look at. So, who knows? Like, maybe one day, one of us will be on vacation somewhere, and we'll just happen to see a mermaid and be able to take a video of it and get famous. I would shit a motherfucking brick. I would be like, girl, how do I get myself one of them tails? Because I want to be one of you. Even though I'm so scared of deep water because of sharks. I'd see a shark and never leave my cove again. But maybe like if you were a mermaid, you could outswim the shark. Or maybe if I was a mermaid, I could befriend the shark. That would be possible. Maybe. And he could be my protector. Yeah. And he could be like my water kitty. Your water kitty. <laughs> I love that. What a great episode this has been. I really enjoyed this one. Next time I'll be on my game a little better. Okay, well, since I didn't say it in the beginning, even though I put the ad in, make sure you check out the PFPN. Do it, please. Do it now. Do it good. Check out the PFPN just like you should. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, so like usual, make sure you follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagrams. Um, Follow us on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Every link to our social media will be included in the episode bio. So, like, on Spotify, if you, like, click details or whatever, everything will be there. Literally a link to the PFPN, a link to our Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter, a link to our email. Like, so you can just click on it and... Mm -hmm. And there's also going to be a link to our, um, to my Etsy shop, which has all of our merchandise on it. Yes. So just check it all out. Follow yeah. us. Like us. Check, 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 check it out. Check, check, check it out. Okay. Well, I'm Bye. getting out of here. Bye. Catch you on the flip side, you mother lickers.